The Las Vegas Raiders have partnered with the global lifestyle app TrueConnect to give the gift of wellness. Transform your mind, body, and soul through thousands of hours of premium fitness content, guided meditations, progress tracking, and more. Visit tcfree.fit to redeem one free year of TrueConnect exclusively for Raider Nation. And we're back with breaking news. Coke Zero Sugar might be the best Coke ever. That's right, Jim. Coke Zero Sugar is a must-try for any Coke fan, so make sure you... Jim. <laughs> Jim. We're on the air. Ooh, yes, this tastes like the best Coke ever to me. Your thoughts, Jen? Well, can I have a sip? <laughs> Jen, we're in the middle of reporting the news. I need to try it first. You're listening to Upon Further Review, presented by Coors Light on the official Raiders Podcast Network. Here's your host, Eddie Pascal. Raider Nation, what is going on? Eddie Pascal here back at the Intermountain Health Performance Center. And thank you, thank you, thank you for hanging out with us for another episode of Upon Further Review, brought to you by the good folks at Coors Light. And how about that? Merry Christmas and happy holidays to everyone listening. And my goodness... The gentleman on the field certainly held up their end of the bargain, delivering a fantastic, ex- uh, expensive, I suppose, but excellent gift for everyone in the Raider Nation, taking down the Kansas City Chiefs 20-14, to and in the process, keeping the Silver and Blacks postseason hopes alive. Yes, they are very much alive. More on that in a little bit. We are going to dive into really everything that Sunday means, or Monday, I should say, uh, in the grand scheme of 2023 for the silver and black. We have some exciting news on the back end, and really, we're stacked today. We, you know, Coming off the holiday, everyone's energized, feeling good, so you're not only getting one interview, you guys are getting two. We're going to start with our guy Thayer, excuse me, Thayer Munford, one of the big fellows on the offensive line for the Las Vegas Raiders. Thayer, who's really had an awesome 2023, and you'll hear him kind of talk about that and share some of uh, some of what's gone into his development, a guy who started at left tackle, back to right tackle, left tackle. I mean, a guy who has done everything for this offensive line in 2023, a guy now who really feels like he is ascending, about to play some of his best football, and a guy very much like this team in general, just getting better and better and better week after week after week. So we're going to talk to Thayer, hang out with the big fella. And then after that, I was curious, uh, because you look at this defense, and everything that Patrick Graham has done in, in 2023, a fantastic job. I, I talk about it every single week about how this is a guy who deserves uh, all of our, our praise, our respect, all of, the, all of the rounds of applause that are humanly possible. But I wanted to talk to someone a little bit smarter than me uh, and get a kind of a sense of what he's doing in not only a historical sense, but kind of uh, around the league and what this defense has done that's been effective, where they rank among the other defenses in the league. And to do that, had to call on one of our guys from PFF, the great Brad Spielberger, Spielberger, friend of the program, Brad Spielberger. And it was great to talk with him about really the evolution of this Raiders defense, kind of the national sense uh, that folks have about this defense. And of course, of course, of course, because we were diving into the numbers fully into the matrix, I had to ask him about uh, our guy A.J. Cole and where he ranks in terms of some of these specialist stats that our our guys at PFF uh, are track and and do it better than anyone else out there. So uh, we have a lot to get to, like I said, some exciting news on the back end. But before we do that, I got some bills to pay. So we begin, as we typically do, with our 
transactions brought to you by Shift4 Payments. Uh, Champ Kelly and the boys been busy, busy, busy over the holidays, so we'll just go straight in order here, in chronological order, I should say. On 12-24, Christmas Eve, to those who celebrate, uh, the Silver and Black activated cornerback Brandon Faison from the reserve injured list. They activated tight end Cole Fotheringham and fullback Jakob Johnson from the practice squad. Then two days later, on 12-26, following the big win in Kansas City, the aforementioned Jakob Johnson and Cole Fotheringham reverted back to the practice squad. And then yesterday, as we record this on a Thursday morning, 12-27, Las Vegas Raiders signed tight end Zach Gentry and then waived, excuse me, waived Justin Heron. They also placed tight end Jesper Horstead on the reserve injured list. So we talk about it every single week. A lot going on in this building. The 53-man roster is a living, breathing organism, uh, and it changes. It is about as fluid as fluid as can be, and especially, <clears throat> excuse me, especially right now. We talked about it. The Raiders playing meaningful football headed into the new year. Uh, Pat, not, uh, not Patrick Graham. I, guess, I suppose Patrick Graham a little bit, but Champ Kelly and his staff really doing everything, everything they can do to put together the best 53 for the silver and black because we talked about it. A huge, a colossal, uh, hard to overstate how important these next two weeks are for, uh, for Champ Kelly, Antonio Pierce, Aiden O'Connell, everyone in that locker room. So it'll be a lot of fun, and we're going to dive into that in just a little bit. But... We have to begin at the beginning, and what a Christmas gift it was for the Las Vegas Raiders to deliver to the entire Raider Nation, taking down the Kansas City Chiefs at Arrowhead 20-14, to improving their record to 7-8, and kind of getting the monkey off their back, snapping that six-game losing streak to the Kansas City Chiefs, keeping the postseason hopes alive. All of the good stuff was there. On, uh, on Monday morning or Monday afternoon in Kansas City. And we've talked about it a lot over the past couple of days. For the full post-game recap, head on over to YouTube or this very pod feed for the fifth quarter presented by Twitch, me and Jason Fitz breaking it all down, or Raiders Roundtable. Obviously, JT and Brick and I talked about it a lot as well. But I, I think my biggest takeaway from this game, right, and, and certainly the numbers are weird, the numbers are bizarre. Aiden O'Connell throws for 62 yards. The run game uh, is resurgent and is alive. The defense does its thing, 14 points in seven seconds. Like, the statistical funkiness of Monday is hard to overstate. But I think that the context of this win matters a lot. Right. With all due respect to whether it's the, the Carolina Panthers, the Chicago Bears, a team kind of uh, not going anywhere in the, uh, in the postseason picture, this is the Kansas City Chiefs. This is a team that has had the Raiders number. This is Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, two guys that we may not like them a lot, but you have to respect every single thing they do, what they have meant to the game, what they have uh, you know, really candidly dominated the AFC West for the past couple of years. And the Raiders... Without the full complement of their of their players, went into Kansas City on a cold, blustery day and handled business. And it wasn't pretty. It certainly was not pretty. But they took Patrick Mahomes out of rhythm. Uh, they, you know, dominated the line of scrimmage really from start to finish. Those final few series we heard from Antonio Pierce post game and then earlier this week saying, "Look, everyone in that building knew that we were going to run the football." The Chiefs knew we were going to run the football. The Chiefs fans knew we were going to run the football. Our guys knew we were going to run the football. Heck, everyone here in this studio was like, they're going to run the ball in the second half. And what did the Raiders do? They were able to run the ball and run it efficiently, run it effectively. And Antonio Pierce said, for for a play caller, for a head coach, for everyone to know what you're going to do and you're still able to do it is one of the best feelings in football. And so I think that the the, the way the Raiders were able to win is important. The fact that they were able to do it on the road was important. The fact that it was a must-win game, essentially, was important. 
the fact that they did it with swagger, the fact that they did it with attitude. You look at Antonio Pierce's post-game, uh, post-game address of the team. I mean, that's, that's going to get you fired up. And that all matters in the big picture of 2023. What is it going to mean three weeks from now, two and a half weeks from now when the regular season comes to an end? We're going to have to wait and find out. But I think it is all important. Uh, all those little aspects of it are important when you build out this win, when you look at this win kind of in totality. Because yes, it's one win. Is it a huge win just for you know the, the immediate? Yeah, it keeps the Raiders alive. Absolutely, it's a big win. But I think when we zoom out and we kind of look at 2023 in totality and hopefully into 2024 and beyond, we look at this game and and kind of my hope anyways is that this signifies something bigger, something different for your Las Vegas Raiders. And JT brought it up, uh, you know, I I thought he said it really poignantly. He goes, in the history of the Las Vegas Raiders, right, so 2020 and on, he goes, this has got to be one of the biggest wins, if if not the biggest regular season win that this team has had. Uh, So, Les, yes, we, we should enjoy it. We should celebrate it. Uh, it keeps the Raiders alive, all that good stuff, but still a lot to accomplish over these final couple weeks. And speaking of the Raiders being alive, as we record this right now, the Raiders are technically in the 11 seed in the AFC, but, but, but they have a chance to take down the Colts, who are ahead of them. They are the number seven seed as of right now. And I've been talking to a lot of my buddies over the past couple of days, and I'm getting really kind of fun, funky, weird 2021 vibes from uh, from the world that we're living in right now. Let us not forget, in 2021, a season of ups and downs, incredible ups, incredible downs. Uh, but at this point in the season, the Raiders had an interim head coach. At that time, it was Rich Passaccia. They were going to Indy in Week 17, very similarly to what the Raiders are doing right now uh, in a must-win situation. That's what the Raiders are in right now, setting up if they were able to win, big if, right? But if the Raiders were able to win, setting up an absolutely colossal game at home to wrap up the regular season against a division rival. Well, where does that sound familiar? Well, in 2021, the Raiders won in Indy Week 17, returned home uh, to take on the Los Angeles Chargers in what was essentially a win or tie, and you're in. Now, look, the Raiders need a lot of help over the uh, the coming days. We got football on Saturday this week. I'm sure everyone in this building is going to be keyed in and watching. But all the same, the parallels are weird. The parallels are funky. The parallels are a lot of fun. But none of this matters, right? None of this matters unless the Raiders handle business on Sunday. That is step one, and I feel like not in a bad way, and certainly that is not the case for anyone in this locker room. I feel like some people are kind of just, for not forgetting, but saying, all right, let's just get rid, you know, we'll handle the Colts on Sunday, and then all eyes on the Broncos the following weekend. Like, let's pump the brakes a little bit. This is a really good Colts team. Uh, speaking of ups and downs in 2023, you think you have Anthony Richardson's going to be your guy, this this high-profile big dog rookie coming in. Well, he gets her. Insert Gardner Minshew, who candidly is a product of the Conference of Champions. I'm quite fond of. Love watching the man play ball, except for this Sunday. But, you know, this Colts team has really rallied around Minshew. Minshew Mania Part 95 or whatever we're on right now. This is a really, really good Colts team. Uh, and Brad Spielberger will give us kind of a preview of the Colts, what they do well, and why they need to be taken seriously in just a second. But before we get to Brad, before we get to, uh, like I said, our fun news kind of on the back end, we begin with one of the biggest fellas in this locker room, right? Big personality, a guy who's getting better and better and better, uh, and that is our friend Thayer Mumford. So 
Like I said, we're just going to go back-to-back this week, right? We got a lot going on, so we're just going to go rapid-fire style. So enjoy first our conversation with the aforementioned Thayer Mumford, and then right out of that, we're going to go ahead, we're going to head right into our friend from PFF, Brad Spielberger. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. And very excited to be hanging out with one of our guys, the big foes on the offensive line, Thayer Mumford. And, and Thayer, I got to ask, I got to start here. Does Zamir White still owe you and the big boys a Christmas present? Of course. Of course. We still yeah. waiting? I guess it's only I'm been a couple days. I'm still waiting for my size 16 shoe, but, you know, when, when it gets here, it gets here. But That's I'm right. really rushing about. And it is the, uh, it's the thought that counts, thought as that they counts, say. Sure. Um, just sticking on Zamir for a second, man. I mean, obviously a guy who had played out of his mind uh, on Monday morning or Monday afternoon in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. When you've kind of seen Zamir wait, you know, kind of wait his turn, you know, have to stay ready mentally, ready to go, like, what does it mean for for you guys to see him go out there and ball out the way that he did? To be honest, me and him in the same draft class and seeing him progress pro- progressively like get better over like the weeks is tremendous to look at because you know we have Josh of course and you know that's my guy but also Z's like good good as well and just seeing him grow from our rookie year to now is it's like night and day difference. For you know, for a guy like you along the offensive line, and obviously you guys work so closely with really everyone on the team, but those running backs in particular. When you look at Zamir, like where do you think you've seen the biggest growth from him? Uh, personally, I see a lot more growth mentally from him because you know our rookie year is not like our ideal year, it's just you know play and start and all this you know all the stuff that we got, that we have to do that we want to do. But he kept his head down, kept grinding, kept doing the stuff that he's supposed to be doing for the team and on special teams and everywhere else, you know, I give him all the props in the world just to stay focused on everything that he's doing as a man. You know, I think one part of, of Monday that was really cool for me was you see Josh tweeting out after the game, just giving Zamir his love. We hear AP mm-hmm. in that post-game locker room and the speech that he gave you guys. Yeah. Shout out Zamir giving him his love. Like, I imagine for a guy that we've come to know a little bit, kind of soft-spoken dude, like a guy that doesn't love being in the spotlight, that had to be pretty cool for him to kind of get that recognition from his peers and his head coach. Oh, it, it means a lot to him because, you know, everybody didn't really know who he was or how how he was going to play, but... Everybody in the building knew like how he was. Like he's a dog. He's he's everything that you want in a player, you know. And that's my guy. And I will do anything for him. You know, obviously, you know, going back to the old line now, you guys. I think AP kind of you know said it perfectly where he talked. You know, someone asked him about how well the the rushing has been going, how well you guys have been able to dominate on the ground. He goes, yes, and we're really proud of that. But he goes, let's also kind of put in perspective all the moving pieces that we've had. Right? Yeah. You have a second year running back. You have a rookie uh, a rookie quarterback. You've had so many changes on the offensive line, yourself included. Right? Like, mm-hmm. what does it mean for the entire collective that you guys have been playing so well, but then you zoom out and there's all these kind of crazy. things things going on in terms of the personnel you know we take it day by day because everybody knows like NFL stands for not for long for us but we love each other and we love the things that we do for each other for the team and with me going from right tackle playing right tackle for a little bit and going to left for a couple games and Zamir coming in for Josh and you know Aiden doing his thing and everybody else doing their own thing uh, on the offense it just helps out a lot you know, build that, build that chemistry that we always have. You know, I'm glad you brought up the fact that you're going from right to left. Like, what is the biggest challenge for someone who doesn't, who's someone who isn't as deep in the NFL in a locker room like, like you are? Like, what's the biggest challenge from switching from right tackle to left tackle? Um, with me, it's the complete opposite. Um, I was mostly left tackle for, you know, since my freshman year of high school. And 
like last year was my first year actually playing right tackle. Mm -hmm. So for me, from going to left tackle to right tackle is a lot more different. But for me, going from right tackle to left is really not that much a difference. It's just getting back used to like how my hips are and how my stance is and how my uh, sets are on the left side. So it's really not that big a difference. You know, I want to ask you too about one of my I think my favorite moments from uh, from the game on Monday, and there are a lot. Was you know, unfortunately, we see Jermaine go down for those handful of plays, mm. and here comes Big Colton ran right like the sheriff riding in on the horse, right? Like a yeah. like a cowboy. Here he comes. <laughs> um, what was that kind of just kind of take me through that? I imagine pretty wild couple minutes where you say, okay, Jermaine's down. Here comes Colton. Like what goes into that logistically? Just to be able to go run the play the next uh, next um, time out. To be honest, it was more of like all right, who's going to be the emergency like backup tackle and we had you know going to we kind of knew who was going to be the backup tackle for a little bit um Cohen is going through a lot you know and trying to get back and you know for me as a young guy looking up to him I respect him a lot and I got all types of love for him to do that and seeing him come back on the field after Jermaine went down and I was like all right like Cohen's coming in. I'm going back to, out to right. I was like, all right, this time to go. It don't matter who, who's at right, who's at left. Like we got to win this game just to beat the Chiefs, you know, because we was tired of being getting beat by the Chiefs, especially at our place this year. And we was like, you know, F it, Let, let's go. Like we got to, we got to win this somehow. Uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, we talked about the context of this win a lot, right? You brought up the fact that we haven't beat the Chiefs in a minute, certainly haven't beat them for a while in Arrowhead. Uh, when you kind of zoom out from this year, and, and look, I, probably a, a question better asked next year maybe, but yeah. like, what do you think, what did it mean for the group to be able to kind of check that box, you know what I mean? Beat the Chiefs, do it on the road, do it on a national stage with everyone watching on Christmas Day. It, it meant a lot, you know, because we worked so hard throughout this whole season. We went through so much adversity as a team collectively. And we just seeing seeing how we grew from, you know, November first to now it's nine day difference. And everybody, um, I know people have been saying this before, but everybody's themselves, like nobody's really working on it shows. Everybody's being themselves. Everybody's happy. Everybody's enjoying their love for the game. You know, when our loss we still love the game. You know, and that's the like, the biggest part for us. Like we just love the game even more now. You know, Antonio was asked uh, after the game about, you know, being able to run the ball the way that you guys did so yeah. effectively. And he goes, hey, there's nothing better. Everyone in that stadium knew that we were going to run the ball. The Chiefs knew it. We knew it. Their fan base knew it. And we were still able to do it. We were still able to be effective on the ground. What does that feel like for you guys up front? Like what Antonio was saying, everyone in that stadium knew what the plan was, right? It became pretty evident pretty quickly what the plan was. And you guys were still able to do your thing. That probably feels pretty good. It feels great. But, you know, for us as offensive line, we still have that dog mentality. Like, all right, like we can pass the ball pretty well, but also at the same time, we need to run the ball. And we took it on, on, on our shoulders just to run the ball. And we told them, like, after um, the one drive that we had our second stop on mm -hmm. the 50, we was like, yeah, we got to run the ball. Just to make sure, like they they still respect us on the run, on the on the ground, and you know we showed up and we showed out with the running game. You know, looking ahead now to Indianapolis, and you and I were talking on the way up. You know, playing meaningful football at the start of the new year, which is really, uh, you know, so many teams wish they were in that position, right? Yeah. Playing football that means something when the calendar turns to the new year. Uh, you've probably played in that Colts stadium a handful of times, right? Have you not? About like four times. Four times, mostly positive memories as a member of the Ohio State. Very positive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, four times. Four times won the Big Ten championship in that stadium. It was, it, for me, it's going to be like a homecoming for me because it's right near Ohio. It's, it's just the right 
it's the next state over. So mm-hmm. I got people, a lot of people coming over for that game. Um, yeah, it just feels like home for me. How many uh, how many Thayer Mumford tickets we getting for uh, for Sunday? To be honest, I don't even know. Too many. Too many. Way <laughs> too freaking many. Uh, last one before I let you go, Thayer, man. I appreciate you hanging out with us. How long? So I've been in that Kansas City locker room a handful of times. That thing is not big. No. That is a we can call it a glorified high school locker room. How long did it take to get the smell of cigar off of your clothes, your shoes? Because that that it lingers in there. Hey, don't matter. We still won. Um. It, it's still on my clothes from the other day, so <laughs> I hope it's still there from the the other day as well in that locker room. But we happy about it. We gonna keep it, keep that tradition going, smoking cigars after a win. Yeah, it really don't matter who we beat. Yeah, a hundred percent right. And I think that's been so much fun for us is to see you guys having fun again. It's been a blast to watch. Best of luck this Sunday. We were talking about it. Still, so much to play for in twenty twenty three. Best of luck, my friend. Continued success, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you. And very excited to be joined by, I'll call him a friend of the program now. You have multiple appearances in a, in a calendar year. Then you're a friend of the program. Our friend from PFF, Brad Spielberger. And Brad, we were discussing before we started rolling here, just what a kind of, in the best possible way, bizarre win it was for the Raiders on Monday taking down the Kansas City Chiefs. I know that you were, uh, you were forced to watch the game from 50,000 feet up, but, I mean, surprised by the way that the Raiders handled business against Patrick Mahomes and company? Yeah, I mean, you'd probably expect it to be a lower scoring game if you were going to see a Raiders win. You know, not like a Chargers game where you put you hang 60, but more of a defensive battle. You know, the Chiefs have a good defense, and you hopefully show up with this Antonio Pierce unit and just kind of put the clamps on them. But the way they went about it with multiple defensive scores, with consistently causing the Chiefs to have to punt or turn the ball over on downs or, or actually turn the ball over, period. It, it was just like it was almost different to how they've, you know, they've lost games this year too, where Kansas city maybe fails to score enough, but still does score some, Like they, they really couldn't do anything. They could not sustain drives. The entire game couldn't have any explosive plays. It was just a, a, a shutdown performance from this defense. And as crazy as that sounds, he did not stutter a shutdown performance from the Raiders defense going against the Kansas city chiefs. But you know, Brad, we've been pretty honest in, in this building, you know, certainly since training camp that, the level of surprise here is is pretty intense about how well the defense is played, right? We all knew that Max Crosby was going to be his all-pro future, whatever you want to call himself, just an absolute machine. But the other guys surrounding him have been the most pleasant surprise that Raiders fans have had in a while. When you kind of look from kind of a national perspective, what has been the level of surprise from, from our folks in the national, me- national media just about how well Patrick Graham's group has been playing this year? For sure. I will say Graham, I think, always has had a ton of respect and and it's well-deserved going back to the Giants days and and different stops along his career. He adapts the scheme to his personnel. He's not kind of rigid in what he does and understands if he needs to change things around. Um, And and so, like, I'm not super shocked it's a good unit, but, you know, we view defense as a weak link proposition. Yeah, it's great to have Max Crosby's, but if you have Max Crosby in some other spots that maybe raise question marks, you are going to get picked on at times. And I think the biggest thing for me, it's not enough national attention it needs more is the third year breakout and emergence of Malcolm Coons opposite Max Crosby, who has been over the last two months, as good as any pass rusher in the NFL, sixth in pressure rate among edge rushers over the last, you know, since the Antonio Pierce era began actually better than Max Crosby on a per snap efficiency mm-hmm. rushing the passer, obviously benefits from Max Crosby's presence. Um, but, but he's been, he's been incredible. 
Yeah, I mean, we talk about Malcolm, and we were actually talking about him this morning about you know how certainly the numbers are coming now, five sacks in two games. But he's a dude who just seems a lot more comfortable, not only in what he's doing on the football field, but a guy is a lot more comfortable in his own skin. I mean, what do you guys, uh, kind of from an analytics perspective, what has been the biggest difference for Malcolm over the past, let's call it, month or six weeks? Yeah, I mean, it's honestly hard to kind of dissect a ton without a ton of volume. You know, he was a bit of a healthy scratch in his first year, coming along slowly, kind of funny, comes from Buffalo, the Mm. the same Khalil Mack, uh, you know, emergence of this really stud edge rusher. I think, honestly, it was just the game slowing down for him. I think also just being a a three-down player they could trust against the run as well as against the pass. But if I looked at tape and tried to pick out something particular, I think he's timing his his get-off better. I think he's just quicker off the ball. And he always was a guy that I thought had a decent arsenal of moves, wasn't the rawest player in the world, but it was more about just kind of getting up to to speed on a burst and explosiveness, things like that, and then letting kind of the, the hand usage and other stuff translate and actually be more effective because you are kind of ahead of the snap, so to speak. So, yeah, he's just, you know, all that's been great. And then, of course, like I said, I mean, it does really help everyone when you have multiple guys that pose a threat because the interior guys, too. There's been some nice play from Tillery and Bilal Nichols and and some others, um, you know, Adam Butler, you know, as as splashed at times. Like, it just helps to have more problems for the opposing offensive line and, and, and all, you know, the, what is it, the, the, the tide rises all boats yes. or whatever whatever quote I'm, I'm missing right now. Yeah, you're close. I mean, I there was one last week I couldn't. It was like such a cliche and I couldn't remember it. But a, a fan on Twitter helped me out after the fact, Brad. Uh, but we talk about the explosiveness and the big plays and just how dynamic that this defense has been as of late. And, and you look at Jack Jones. My goodness now. You got pick sixes in back-to-back games. The first time that's happened uh, to someone wearing silver and black in almost 25 years. Uh, where did Jack Jones come from? I know that he had, we obviously had to stop in, in New England, but like – this type of production, this type of big play, these splashy plays. I mean, Jack Jones, it's nice to see you, my friend. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I don't think the talent there has ever been questioned. He's a really, really good football player. I think he's instinctual. I mentioned pre-show again, the Mahomes interception was telegraphed. And I think he just jumped it, knew there was a back shoulder ball coming down that right sideline and just got out ahead of it and made it not an easy play. It's still a remarkable sure. play. Uh, but just the wherewithal, the recognition to know exactly what to do. Yeah. I mean, it talk about a lot of people were saying, you know, what can champ Kelly do as an interim GM? I get what Pierce can show us, you know, what can a GM show? Well, you know, he picked up a guy on waivers who, who has back-to-back pick six. He's made a lot of other little small moves here and there. He's done about as well as he can, given the the in-season, uh, you know, interim GM tag. It, it is so funny. We talk about some of the in-season additions, and obviously Jack Jones is, is the big one that a lot of folks have been uh, been focused on right now. Brad, do you remember, I don't want to date myself too much, do you remember David Amerson of Silver and Black oh, yeah. fame? So I, it was so funny because I've had all these David Amerson flashbacks because DA was a guy who joined much earlier in the season. I, if memory serves, he joined like week three or week four, but came in. And just played his rear end off for 14, 15, 15 weeks. I was like, who is this guy? And so I think it's been a lot of fun for us to be able to go down memory lane a little bit, see a DB who's just so very much in the zone like Jack Jones is, making big plays for this defense, and, and candidly being such a catalyst for what this Raiders team in 2023 has been, which is a stout defensive team. I can't believe I'm saying it. A stout defensive team that takes advantage of the opportunities they get on offense when they're there. But my goodness, it's been a lot of fun to watch this defense do its thing. For sure. And it's not fluky, too. Like, I brought a bunch of data and, and kind of points that, you know, because sometimes you can't have stretches of, 
okay, crazy turnover luck, or they're so good in the red zone. And so they're just like, you know, touchdowns or field goals against them. This is a team that is third in the NFL since week nine and just scoring drive rate against. So, you know, field goals and touchdowns included. And they're also just top 10 in the amount of series they allow to get converted into first down. So they're also not just a bend, don't break defense that's kind of getting lucky or, you know, just having a positive variance in, in some areas. Like they're good and efficient on a down to down basis on a play to play basis. I also think you see so much Antonio Pierce here. I mean, number one defense against the run in terms of EPA per rush. They have the fewest yards after first contact per rushing attempt in the NFL and the fourth fewest explosive rushes against them uh, on a per carry basis since Pierce took over. So, like, it's not just kind of this variance or, or the, you know, these lucky kind of indicators of regression. It's really signs of a unit playing really well, being deployed properly. And we talked about a little bit Patrick Graham, like a guy like an Amik Robertson. I get he's undersized, kind of like a Darius Williams. He belongs on the outside. I know yeah. that you want to put him in the slot. He's been incredible since he went back to the outside. Like little adjustments like that over the course of the year have been huge. And look, Brad, I live in, by the way, impressive rattling of the stats. Please tell me that you have those written down somewhere. That's not just off the uh, off the top of the dome. But, you know, of course, you got to yeah, have the notes. Addy, you got it. Got to prep, baby. Um, I think for us, right, the Raiders now find themselves still very much alive, which has been so much fun for this team, this team, this fan base. Like, if you would have told us on November 1st, uh, after the old regime exits, that, hey, you're going to be playing meaningful football headed into the new year. Every single person would have been like, I'll take it. Who knows what the final two weeks hold, but they will take it 100%. But speaking of the final two weeks, right, we can live in this world of what has to happen, the odds, the the percentages. Uh, The Raiders, we got to start here, though, right, Brad? The Raiders have to win out to have any semblance of of playing uh, postseason football. Too many teams in that AFC cluster definitely have to win out first and foremost. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, and I think, but you know, it's, it's a lot of fun for us, though is you now have an opportunity, you're going to Indianapolis, right? And, and there's some really kind of funky parallels to the 2020 year. Uh, people forget that in 2020, the Raiders had to win a game on the road in Indy to stay alive and set up a win-and-you're-in situation the following week at home. Well, that is where we find ourselves again a little bit, Brad. But, uh, you know, I'm excited for this, ba- this fan base. When, you know, make us a little bit smarter about the Colts. Obviously, we see Gardner Minshew doing his thing, a guy that this team has 100% rallied around, uh, one of the more exciting, kind of fun personalities in the NFL. But when you look at the Colts, I mean, what do they bring to the table? What are the challenges they're going to present to the Silver and Black this weekend? Yeah, so first and foremost, we have the, the Raiders a 15% chance to make the playoffs, so definitely still alive. But there's like... 10 teams between eight and seven and seven and eight in the AFC. So I mean, definitely, uh, you know, have to win out and then get, get some help as well. But yeah, the Colts are interesting. They they, they are built up the middle on both sides of the football. You have a great interior duo on defense of DeForest Buckner and Grover Stewart that are going to cause problems for any opponent. Um, And then on the flip side, obviously Quentin Nelson, great left guard, uh, Ryan Kelly having a bounce back year at center and Will Fries, a young right guard coming along. So, you know, they're going to try to slow things down. Gardner Minshew runs the highest rate of RPOs in the NFL. It's a lot of, uh, you know, hand the ball off or throw it to your first read in the progression on a quick slant, you know, like to the flat, like it's a simplified offense and Shane Steichen deserves a ton of credit as well. Probably should be a head uh, coach of the year candidate coming over from Philadelphia. But you know, I think at the end of the day, like there are talent disparities you could take advantage of. Devontae Adams and Jacoby Myers versus the cornerbacks that are playing in Indy is a massive mismatch. Like it really is. And so 
you know, I think that Aiden O'Connell should trust, hey, am I going to throw the ball early anticipatorily and, and maybe the guy's not open when I throw it, but I trust he'll win a 50-50 or, or win a back shoulder ball. Like there's got to be some of that because these outside corners in, in, in Indy, it's the weakest position group they have. They're, they're free safety and, and Julian Blackman is now on IR out for the year. He's kind of their roamer near the line of scrimmage that makes a lot of plays. Um, you know, like they're, they're, you can pick on this secondary and if the offensive line holds up, which was kind of our topic last time, they've been really, really good for Las Vegas, like, I mean, that's going to be the key. They're tough to run on because of Grover Stewart and DeForest Buckner, but you can throw on them and they're going to have to. Yeah, I mean, Antonio Pierce has made no bones about it because they want to be a run first team, right? When you got Josh Jacobs and we'll see his status uh, as the week goes on here, but you got Samir White, like they want to be able to run the ball, but to your point, you got Devontae Adams, you got Jacoby Myers, you got to take advantage uh, of those guys on the outside. But real quick, uh, real quick, Brad, before I let you go, you know me, I talked to you last time about my deep love of the special teams. How is my guy AJ Cole grading out? I know last time we spoke that he was number one in all the metrics and gradings and whatnot, having a phenomenal year, a historic year in many senses for the silver and black. Uh, give me some good AJ Cole stats on the way out, will you? I, I should have known to prep for some AJ ah! Cole stats. Right? I pulled, <laughs> but no, I got, I'll pull it up for you right here. Of course yes. I got you, but I really can maybe you know, dove into the weeds of, of the whole thing here. So he is still, okay, he's now his third, third highest graded punter. He was first last time I was on. Um, there's a guy who didn't punt, has not had the same amount of volume. So let's say he's the second highest graded punter I'll take uh, for PFF this year. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's still been remarkable this season in terms of pinning teams deep. Uh, the second most kicks in, pinned inside the 20 uh, among all punters. You know, he, he's as good as it gets. Yes, he is. Yes, he sure is. End of the end of the fro end. Excuse me, end a friend of the program just like you. Uh, but Brad, we appreciate you hanging out with us. Where can the people find you and all the incredible stuff that you and the PFF uh, boys are up to? Yep, you can follow me on Twitter at PFF underscore Brad, and all my content's coming out of PFF.com. We're not there yet. We're still in 2023, but top 100 free agents, when we get there, after the Raiders make a playoff run, go check out the top 100 free agents and guys that can add this offseason to bolster the roster even more. Love it, love it, love it. Brad, it was good to see you. Hopefully we get you out here in the desert for the Super Bowl, but if we don't, uh, it was great to see you, and we'll catch you with you soon. All right, brother? Sounds great. And a huge thank you to not only Thayer, but our guy from PFF, Brad Spielberger, as well. Uh, Brad and I were talking after we wrapped up, and uh, him and the PFF guys are going to be here in Vegas for the Super Bowl uh, in, gosh, just about, what was it, like seven weeks? Man, that's wild. It's like less than 50 days, which is completely bizarre to me. Uh, but we're going to make sure that we get Brad uh, onto the set there, hang out with him and our guy Dave, uh, PFF Dave, and all the guys. And, uh, yes, we greatly appreciate him making time for us, as we do with Thayer, uh, because, like I said, a funky schedule this week. The guy's on the short week now, so we really do appreciate Thayer and our PR staff making sure that he came up here and hung out for just a little bit. But we, we heard from Brad. We talked about the Colts a little bit. So it is time for the Raiders will win if. Well, after much contemplation, after a lot of thinking and pondering, I have come to this conclusion. Raiders are running the ball at an absurd rate right now. Back-to-back games, you average out what they've done these past two weeks. They're averaging 140 yards on the ground. one four, zero, Nuts. Crazy. Do I think that they will be able to replicate that against the, uh, against the Colts on Sunday? I sure hope so. I mean, we look at the numbers from the Colts, and, and in terms of, of rush defense, the Colts rank 28th in the NFL. They're averaging, excuse me, surrendering on average 130.7 rushing yards per game. So on paper, you would think that the Raiders are going to be able to control the line of scrimmage again because, again, statistically speaking, what the uh, the Kansas City Chiefs defense brings to the table is a little bit better, a little more stout, a little more dynamic than what the Raiders will see this upcoming Sunday at Lucas Oil Stadium. So I think the Raiders will be able to run the ball. 
That is going to be great. I feel confident in the big boys up front with Thayer, uh, Andre James, Dylan Parham, all those guys. I feel confident that the Raiders are going to run the ball. But to me, what this game is going to come down to is can Aiden O'Connell have a few moments? And look, I don't need Aiden to go out there and throw for 300 yards and look like the reincarnation of Joe Montana. That would be great, but I don't need that this week. What do I need? I need him to have just a few moments. I need, and I say this with all due respect, we got to be a little bit better than 62 yards in the air, right? We got to be better than one reception for four yards for Devontae. We got to keep this Colts defense honest. Now, I think, you know, over the course of that 60 minutes, there's going to be a few of those moments. There's going to be a third and eight. There's going to be a second and one where Bo Hardigree says, hey, young fella, go let it rip. Can Aiden O'Connell seize those moments? And again, I'm not looking for 25 of them. I'm not looking for 40 dropbacks and 290 yards. I'm looking for just a few moments. Can the Raiders be explosive when they need to be? Can they be dynamic in bits and spurts? Because look, I said it and I will say it to the cows come home. This team, this 2023 Raiders team is at its best when they are a run-first team. I said that with Jimmy Garoppolo. I said that when Josh Jacobs was healthy. At their best, this is a run-first team. I do not think at this juncture, with everything to play for, you change who you are. Run the ball. Control the line of scrimmage. Lean on this Colts defensive line. Do your thing up front. But all the same, you have one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. You have a rookie quarterback who has shown you that, yeah, there's going to be moments that are not great, but there are also going to be moments where you go, that is 100% what it is supposed to look like. And this guy's got a cannon. Let him use it. Let him be explosive. Certainly play in the constructs and the confines of what Bo Hardigree and Antonio Pierce want to see for Maiden O'Connell. But just those moments, there's going to be two or three of them. I'm visualizing it now. I see it. I sense it. If Aiden O'Connell can take advantage of those moments— I really, 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 really like the Raiders' chances this Sunday. That's it. That's what it's going to come down to. I'm confident the Raiders are going to run the ball, whether it be with Zamir White, whether it be with Josh Jacobs, whether it be uh, you know that, that group in tandem. I feel good about that. Aiden O'Connell, this aerial attack, can it be there when it absolutely has to be? And if it is, oh boy, we are going to have a very... Very, very, very interesting week 18, and I hope for all of our sakes, that is the world that we are living in. But before we get out of here, it is time to crack an ice cold bruchacho, and I teased it at the top. We got some exciting news, and man, we, you know, I put a lot of thought into the Raiders will win if we, Raiders will win if each week. Didn't have to put any thought into this one. Because friend of the program, Silver and Black Productions' very own Eric Allen is a Hall of Fame finalist. So this Ice Cold Coors Light is for you, EA. Man, very, very cool. Could not be happier. Uh, got to share some text with EA last night. He's obviously really excited. It'll be great to see him in the studio this weekend. Uh, Hall of Fame finalist, as I, uh, as I said earlier. And so everyone keep an eye now. The date that we're waiting on is February 8th. That is the big date that we all have circled on the calendar for EA. Uh, we will find out then during NFL Honors uh, who the Hall of Fame class is. There's currently, excuse me, 15 finalists right now. Uh, and while the Pro Football Hall of Fame does not have a, uh, a certain number that has to get in, uh, four and nine members are of the 15 are selected. So it can be four, it could be nine, it could be somewhere in the middle. So of the modern era finalists, there are 15. EA is one of them. 
Let's do it. This has got to be his year. I texted him last night. I said, 2024 is going to be a great year. I feel it. I feel it. I feel it. So EA, congratulations, man. Uh, We talk about it all the time. That not only is, insert the corniest cliche here of, of all time, but not only is EA a Hall of Fame football player, he's a Hall of Fame person. He is one of our favorites uh, that has ever walked through this studio. Uh, I, I, cannot, I could not say enough good things about EA. He makes us smarter. He's incredibly kind. He is just uh, an, an incredible human being. And God, it would be so nice to see him in a gold jacket. It would be so, so good. Uh, and like I said, we will find out on February 8th. So make sure that that is the date that you all have circled on your calendars. Head on over to the social medias. Let people know that EA deserves to be in Canton. And goodness gracious, I hope this is the year. I really, really do for him and for all of us at Silver and Black Productions. And speaking for all of us at Silver and Black Productions, it's time to get on out of here. Busy week, feeling good. Uh, fifth quarter again, me and Jason Fitz this upcoming Sunday. Bright and early again, which I love. That 10 o'clock kickoff start. Whoo! Sign me up for that every single week. It'll be me and Fitz breaking it all down. And hopefully, 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 we are talking about the Raiders still being alive in another W. And with a win on Sunday, if the Raiders are able to handle business, back to 500 and really, 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 really in the thick of things in the AFC playoff picture. But much to accomplish between now and then. So for Eddie Pascal, our guests, multiple this week, Thayer Mumford and Brad Spielberger from PFF, everyone at Silver and Black Productions, we thank you, thank you, thank you. Happy New Year, Raider Nation. I appreciate every single one of you that has gone along with this crazy adventure for us. And we will see you next next week, yes, same time, same place, for our first episode of 2024. Thanks for listening to this edition of Upon Further Review, presented by Coors Light on the official Raiders Podcast Network.